Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. I want to uh, recognize it's a, a wonderful day for celebrating the saints. St. Philip the Holy Apostle, uh, Names Day for Deacon Gary and Gary Philip. Happy Names Day. Also, St. Gregory Palamas, this day as well. And uh, St. Justinian and his wife Theodora the Emperor, uh, who wrote a song we sang this morning. Wonderful. An emperor wrote a song every Christian sings, Only Begotten Son. It was written by an emperor in the 4th uh, or 5th century. So, powerful time. Thank God for the lives of the saints uh, and their witness to us. Today's gospel text is a familiar one to, to all of us and to many in the world, actually, the Good Samaritan. Bishop Joseph wrote uh, one of his thoughts of the day this week. It says, we all have one purpose bring the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ to this land, point out the way of salvation to those who are lost in the lies and turmoil of this ocean of contemporary disfiguration, deception, and confusion. So with Bishop Joseph's admonishment and even our Savior's admonishment, we are all to be the good shepherd, the, uh, the good Samaritan. We're called to this to look around and to pay attention to what's around us and to be uh, aware that there are needs of other people and that we focus on those needs. We keep our eyes open for that. Not to look so much into ourselves. But I think it's important that we read through this parable that we are taught a lot about ourselves in this parable that help us to look out. Because sometimes if we don't understand our own uh, weaknesses in our own struggles, it's very difficult to look out and maybe to understand why we don't look out. So first, let us listen to the parable and then uh, I'll make a few comments as we go through. At that time, a lawyer, lawyers still have a bad reputation. <laughs> 2,000 years later, at that time, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read? And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, You have answered right. Do this, and you shall live. But the lawyer, trying to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? So the key word in this is to justify himself. You know, and I was thinking about this in regard to my own life. You know, how many times do we ask ourselves, How little do I have to do to be saved? What's the minimum? What's the least I have to do? How many times a month do I have to really go to church? Is three out of four Sundays okay? What if I fast? If I fast just from meat, is that okay? What if I just fast from meat every once in a while? Is that all right? What if I don't fast at all? What if I give alms kind of when I have a little bit extra? 
The lawyer was in that position. He wanted to know what was the minimum. What was the minimum I needed to do to be saved? And, <laughs> you know, the Lord gave us the bar. You know what the bar is? Be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. So you know what our, our goal in life is? Is to try to reach the bar. Is to try to get up to it. Not to ask, what little can I do? But ask, how much can I do? Now, we just have that sense about us that we want to know the minimum. I do. I'd love to know the minimum. But God isn't saying that. God is saying that's not how we reach. That's not how you grow spiritually. You grow spiritually by reaching for the maximum. For the maximum. I remember playing football in high school. In college, I had a really good coach, but uh, he wasn't... Uh, we weren't really conditioned well. In high school, we were massacred. We were like, we were so conditioned that it, it, however bad it got, we were always prepared for it. However hot it was or however many plays we had to run, we were always prepared for that. We shot at the top of the bar. And uh, so we need to understand that it's not about justifying ourselves. What little can we do? But Lord, how much can I give to you? How much more can I give to you? Not how little can I do. You know, this sense of justification is seen between the two thieves. The thief on the right said, I stand here justly. I'm condemned because of my sins. Thief on the left said, get us off the cross. I don't need to die either. You need to, you need to get us off the cross. And then the thief on the right said to him, in his not justifying himself, said, remember me in your kingdom. And because he was not justifying himself, you know what the Lord's response was? Today you will be with me in paradise. Don't justify yourself. We don't need to do that. What we need to do is look at what's the maximum. You know, and I think about this in regard to when, when someone offends us and we, we engage a life where people are, um, they offend us. We live in this, this, er, this world and when we live in this world, we're offended by other people. You know, how much can I give up how much of that can I give up? Can I be 100% wrong? Can I give the 100% to that person? Or do I have to kind of play that game where, well, I'm justified to a certain degree to be angry. I'm justified to a certain degree to be upset at this. The Lord says that's not, how, that's not the game that we play as Christian people. We pull ourselves back away from that and we say to ourselves, no, I'm... I'm I'm the one that's wrong here. I'm the one that's wrong here. Forgive me. 100%. And I did that one time with uh, a really good friend. We were in an argument. And I remember that in the back of my head saying, you know, don't justify yourself. You know, 
admit the fault. And in the middle of the argument, I said, you know, dear brother, uh, it's my fault. This, this problem is my fault. And he stopped. And he said, no, Father, it's my fault. We both accepted the blame. And it was a beautiful moment. I'll never forget that. And that if you can get to that spot where you don't have to justify yourself, it's a powerful place to be spiritually. So let's not be like the lawyer and justify ourselves. The parable goes on. It says, who is your neighbor? Jesus said, a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers and was stripped, stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. This certain man I see as myself. The certain man that went down is, is me. And how, did, how, does, how am I treated by God? And that's how we can look at this parable and make it an, an incredible, I think, a good lesson for us. A certain man goes from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jerusalem is the holy place. Jericho is more like the world. So it's like when we, when a certain man like you or I, go from the holy place down into the world. When I go from righteousness to sin. When I go from something good to something bad. What happens to me? I'm wounded. And I'm lying by the side of the road. That happens when we journey. You know that even in your thoughts, when you journey from something good to something bad, there's a wound that happens in your soul. And you need to understand that you're, you are wounded. When your mind, your body, your soul goes from Jerusalem to Jericho, that's a wounded, you're wounded on that journey down into the world. And we fall among the thieves. And we find that in that we, we find that, that we are wounded. So we understand then that this effort that we make to stay in Jerusalem, to keep our, our mind and our thoughts on God and not to drift into, uh, into, into the world, that we would fall among thieves and fall to those natural consequences of sins. And then the parable continues. Uh, now a chance, a priest, this is always a really encouraging passage for me to read. By a chance, a priest goes by that road. And when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came and passed by the other side, he passed, saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so what the church is teaching here is that, that just because one has a title, doesn't give one any righteousness. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not righteous because I have the title of a priest. You're not righteous because you're a parent, because you're a boss, because you have authority or responsibility over the people. You're not, you're not righteous because of title. You're not righteous because of knowledge. The Levite knew the law backwards and forwards. You're not righteous because you know you're not righteous because you have title. What is your righteousness all about? It's about helping the other. It's about stepping outside of yourself. You all have responsibilities. You all have authority over people in your life. That's not your righteousness. What your righteousness is, is your good deeds. So remember that. 
Remember that. So, the Samaritan. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, the Samaritan in this parable is Christ. A very picture of Christ. Samaritan was an outcast Jew. Out from the Jewish nation. Outcast and not respected. What was Christ? A Jew who was outcast. A Jew who was despised. A Jew who was put in prison. A Jew who was, was tortured. A Jew who was murdered. Despised, just like the Samaritan. So we see Christ in this Samaritan. And the important thing that's, that we understand here is it says, He came down where he was. Samaritan had the possibility to pass by on his, on his horse, but he stopped. He came down to the man by the road, just like Christ comes down to us. You know, the one thing that really has impressed me when I, when, when I think about it and hear it, it's that, you know, Christ came to us not in our righteousness. He didn't wait for us to get better. He came to us in our sins, in our weaknesses, in our illnesses. He came down with compassion. Why? To heal us. To lift us up. To make us better people. To lead us to heaven. To glorify himself in us. So, we see this compassionate Samaritan come down. And then, the parable goes on. Um, and he went and bound him up in his wounds and poured oil on him and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So what's the bandages? What's this binding the wounds? The binding the wounds is seen as your baptism. As your baptism. A garment of healing. You know, and everybody... You know, it's interesting, in the, in old, in the old uh, traditions of the church one that was baptized wore the robe around for eight days. They wore the robe around town for eight days. They, when you were baptized, you put it on, you wore it for eight days to, to understand that this is, I'm a new man. I'm healed. All these wounds that I have, have been, I'm, I'm, being, I'm being healed of these wounds. So that garment is placed on us, that baptismal garment. The oil and the wine are the healing oil and the oil of chrismation that heal us of these wounds that are poured out upon us in the sacraments of the church. And the wine, obviously, is the blood of Christ that imparts to us the medicine of immortality. And so we see now that this, this, this Samaritan not only himself comes, but imparts to us bandages that heal our wounds, gives to us oil that, that covers those wounds for the complete healing of them, and then receive, we receive then the medicine of immortality and a Holy Communion. So we have this sense that, this, that Christ has given to us not just himself, but the means by which we can, as the certain man lying by the road, when we are wounded, we have the means to be healed. And then it says he puts us on his own animal, his own beast which the church interprets as bearing our sins in his body. 
I was talking to uh, some of the kids at uh, the school the other day, and uh, we were talking about this sense of Christ taking on all my sins, all of them, every bit of them, all the sins that I have committed, all the sins that I am committing, (laughs) all the sins that I will commit, Christ put them on his body. I don't know if you saw the, the, uh, the movie The Passion, but there's a powerful moment, and it's a very uncomfortable moment when Christ is being tortured. And I remember the moment, and I just, I, I, I still break down with it, and I kept going, which one was mine? Which one was mine? Because every blow, every blow was taking the sins of the world on him. Every blow. So as he was there being beaten to a pulp, beaten, each one was my sin and your sin. What a compassionate God. And to me, I look at that and I, I just, that he puts us on himself that you know how hard it is to carry your sin how difficult it is to take that sin and walk around with it all the time well you don't have to do that because Christ has borne it for you on his own beast and then it says he takes him to an inn and that inn is the church the inn is the church I want to tell you a story about this. Remember Father John Braun, years ago, probably 1973, maybe earlier, I came to him and I was very uh, bothered by certain things. I was struggling uh, emotionally. And I asked him, what should I do? thinking there was a magic word he would give me, you know. I go to someone and you go, you know, he's going to give me a word and this will be great. I'll walk out and feel great. And he said, you know, you know, Kurt, the only way you're going to be healed is to get into the middle of the church and live in the life of the church. Jump in the middle, both feet, both feet, in the middle. And you know what happened? It took years. (laughs) But that's where the healing is. It's not on the periphery. It's not by doing minimums. It's not by walking around the arena of the church. It's by getting the center of the church, participating in the very life of the church. How many services can I come to? Not how few can I make. I made the church calendar my priority. Great Vespers. Saturday, you know where I am at Saturday night? Every Saturday night at 6 o'clock? You know where I am? If I wasn't a preacher, you know where I would be? Here. Circle it. Sunday at 
at nine. Not ten ten. Not ten fifteen. Nine. Maybe, let's, let's make it ten. Circle it. That's where I am. The feast of the church. I circle them. That's where I'll be. You know why? Because that's where you're healed. That's where it all starts making sense. That's where this life of God touches you deeply. It's not some obligation. It's not something God wants to put on you to make life harder, to make it more complicated, to make you more busy. He does it so you'll be healed. Go to the end. Go to the end. Touch heaven. Stand with the saints. Stand with your brothers and sisters. So, beloved, stand in the middle. In the middle of the church. And then he says, whatever you have to spend, I will repay you. I will give it back to you. So, how much does your healing cost you? How much does your spiritual healing cost you? How much does your physical healing cost you? Tons of money. How much is your insurance? Your medical insurance? You know how much your spiritual healing costs you? Nothing. You know why? Because he paid for it. He paid for it. Every penny. Every moment. And so when we come to this moment here and understand what he's done for us, you know what he says? Go and do likewise. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.